We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome to the Eight Black Hands Podcast. How y'all feeling out there? Let us know in the comments how y'all doing. Uh, this is episode 60-something. What episode is it, Charles? It is 65. It's we 65? Are on, we on 65. Yeah. 65. Yeah, right. we on 65. That's a lot of episodes, man. It sure is, man. I hope y'all appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> no, that's what's up, man. That's a beautiful thing. We love each other, but damn, it's a lot. So I hope 65, y'all like 65 plus hours on the camera. I, don't, I can't even count how many hours behind the scenes on y'all, you know, but this is uh, beautiful. It's a lot, son. It's a lot. <laughs> how y'all feel? Yeah. I'm fired up, bro. That's I'm fired up. Hey, I saw um man, I saw that Philly uh I saw some of the um protested in Philly. It looked like it was a lot of people out there, bro. Yeah, man. Folks, folks, uh folks were out there. Folks were out there. Galvin, um, you know, it. like hopefully, you know, it doesn't. People don't get pacified with a couple concessions, with the removal of a statue, with a painting over a mural, or hiring a, three more black police officers. Like hopefully, people stand strong and 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 realize their worth, um, and their voice, and don't give in. Like, do not let up. Yeah, I don't think people are gonna let up on this. I think people are, uh, people are gonna be very vigilant in terms of uh, what's happening. All right, Ray, so how, how you been, Ray? Before we get started, how you doing, brother? You got, like I said, I, I say this all the time. You got the best show on the internet with uh, your little girl and y'all doing y'all y'all exercises, man. Um, how, 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 how's the newest little star doing, bro? <laughs> she's she's all right, man. She's just taking it in, you know. Uh, I got shout out to the people that that hit me up and that are uh, getting energy from her energy. Um, <laughs> it's pretty exciting because uh, yeah, she be going hard, man. I be sitting up, I read the card. It's fifteen jumping jacks, and she be doing like fifty by the end. Yeah, <laughs> she got a lot of energy, bro. And then, and and if we gonna stay on this kid thing, I, I was saying it before we started. I don't know if you know what we was talking about, Ray, but um, we had uh, Sharif Sharif's bunny. His daughter's bunny got sick. Did you see her crying? I did see her crying, but I didn't know what she was crying for. So I shot all y'all out. I shot it all out. Why did, why did little black girl cry? I shouted out all the black dads that I knew, right, that was doing good stuff. And I was I saw Sharif's daughter crying. And then Sharif was like, well, Snowball going to be okay. And then I wake up and Snowball dead as hell. Snowball gone. Yeah, yeah. Now look, a black man showed up with a black rabbit. Took it to the vet, and the vet was just like, "Oh, it's fine. Go ahead home. Here, here it is." And next day, he's dead. I'm just like, "Yo, I've read this before. <laughs> I've read this plot line before. Go home. You're all right. You're all right." Happened in the bunny world. You just got a little contusion. You just got a contusion. Go ahead home. My God. And then we got the man of the hour, man. The man of the hour. I'm gonna let you chew. I'm alone. I'm gonna elongate this uh, thing so we can bring you in the right way. You know. How you doing, brother? You look good and moisturized today, B. What's up with you, Chris? I got a different light, man. That you, moisturized, brother. You know what mm-hmm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, well, can't be I, I want to say this because uh, we don't say it, and normally we only say behind the stuff scenes for the 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 uh, the Patreon folks, which you should join. I want to give a shout out to you, Ray. Uh, it was a lot that went into the show. I didn't got email mess text messages around what I need to do, how I need to show up for the day, brother. So thank you for being so organized on that B, and thank you for getting. The Facebook popping. It's a lot of shit going on in that Facebook. So appreciate you and your kid, man. I'm ready to do this, bro. I'm Jew. Yeah. All right. The man glorious. Do you still yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, I gotta get the shirt, man. I gotta get a shirt that says it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be excited about that shirt. All right. So folks, if you are in the audience right now, let us know in the comments what kind of energy you're on. Uh let's talk about our show goals for the night. What are we trying to do? We're trying to do uh, 100 likes. 100. Mm. <laughs> Hunter. 100. 100 likes. Yeah. We're trying to do 100 shares. That's what's up, man. I think we can do it, bro. 400 comments. No, 400. I'm sorry. I can't say 100. It's for Stuart, man. I, you yeah. know, I think I think for Chris, man, I think they're going to show up like that, man. So, yeah. I'm, let's, so we gonna, I'm going to let my host take the lead, brother. I'm yeah. ready, man. All right, let's jump in. So, Chris, man, give us an update of what's happening in Minneapolis, bro. You know, it's everything that you see everywhere else is growing here. You got more people out in the streets, uh, continued protests. The thing that I'm appreciating is it doesn't look like it's going to be like a one and done thing where everybody gets upset, burns some stuff down, and then it subsides and then nothing structural happens. Today, the mayor was out in the crowd and uh, we have a very pro real estate pro business um wonder boy type mayor um uh who this isn't his thing really and he was out at a big demonstration and they booed him out of it because because he he said he was gonna they were asking him if he would defund the police Mm. and they wanted a yes or no answer Yes or no? Would you defund the police? And of course, his answer is no, because in his he ran on getting more money for the police. Yeah, that, that, that's what he ran and won on. And uh, and and just in his last budget, he was trying to get more money for the police. So, anyways, they booed him. You should you, you should find the video and see it. I've never seen a more it's like a young looking white boy, right? He kind of got yeah. his hair down and he, he looked like um. Yeah, I didn't know that was y'all's guy. He looks no, so he bad. looks like looks like Trudeau. And when he's walking away, he just looks so defeated, like someone took his ball from him. It's just like, he you know, so sad. I felt bad for him kind of in a way, you know, in the way that you feel bad for mayors that wanted more money for the police. But <laughs> he booed for saying for not saying that they that, that they will defund the police. Anyways, that's how that's how it is in Minneapolis. Um, more people, more people of faith showing up. Uh, more prayers and uh, and a multi a full multiracial force of people that are not taking no for an answer, and they're yeah. they're really putting it like whatever you consider activism, they're doing it right now because they're putting the pressure on on the right people. That's what's up, Charles. How's it went in your area, bro? Uh, well, it's kind of a dual area situation. It's 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 going, man. Um, there's a lot of kind of craziness happening. Um, Finally got to go out and get some groceries yesterday. It was super long lines, kind of crazy. I don't know if like social distancing is just like completely over, um, but I'm really interested to see what these COVID-19 numbers look like in two weeks. Listen, man, if in two weeks or three weeks, it's not an, a significant spike, somebody's going to have to do some type of explaining, 
right? Because um, I just went into like this enclosed place and it was a lot of people that was not wearing masks or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a lot of things being thrown at Black America all at once. So it, it's, it's interesting. But prayers for my home, prayers for Oakland, prayers for Chicago and uh, and just all around, man. And it's, you know, start, you got to start changing stuff. And again, I feel bad for your mayor because I don't, he really couldn't get him the answer that he wanted to, even if that's really what he wanted to do. That's just not how it works. But, um, right. but you know, it's just a crazy time, but I don't think people going to let up. And I think you no. got to kind of keep, you know, your foot on the pedal. I do see some changes coming. So we, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think a good politician could have made something up on the spot. Something. something. <laughs> like, I could have said something. Like, you know, he if it had been Bill Clinton, you know, though. Bill Clinton would have made everybody clap and he would have still been doing the same thing. He would have been like, he, he would be uh, promoting more police, but you would clap at the end. So, yeah, man. It's Reef. wild, brother. Reef, how you doing, man? Checking in, boss. Reef? You muted, bro. Doing all right. Excited about the sh- the show and, um, you know, fired up, man. You know, we used to say this, uh, how you feel? Fired up, bro. I just got back, picked up my, uh, you know, my, my kids and my niece. They were at the protest as usual. They've been going out like almost every day mm. um, and just to, to see the youth and, and the coalition and, um, you know, just just hoping, as, as Cole said, just keep the foot on the pedal even after uh, concessions. Uh, come that this has to be a uh, entire mindset, the new paradigm, not you know this temporary fix to pacify the the masses. Like this, this has to stay front and center um, for a really, really long time. As long as it's been uh, a racist society, that's how long we need it to uh, to have this energy. So mm, as yeah. you say, bring that same energy every day. That's a fact, man. I live in the burbs, burbs. I think it's probably about. Three percent uh, uh, people of color in my um, in my town on Long Island, and then I'm looking out the window the other day, and I see all these white folks walking down the road protesting. Man, it made me feel good. It made me feel a little bit different in the fact that I'm thinking that we're not in this alone, and that this is gonna be something that you know a lot of people are gonna embody, and change is gonna occur. So I definitely felt positive about that. So, Chris, jumping in, man. The media is still covering this selectively. Uh, what do y'all want to say about um, to the people tuned in right now about what y'all are seeing on the front lines? I mean, man, it's kind of like what, you know, what I opened with is the crowds are growing. They're becoming more diverse um, and focused. And it's not about uh, tearing things down. It's about demands. Uh, and that's what I needed to see all along. And that's, that's what's happening here now, right? They've, they've gotten past the, the tantrum phase and they're in the, the power phase now. And they're, they're making people uh, give answers or walk away in defeat like our mayor did. And uh, that's a good sign because that, that's, that is a movement maturing that we've needed here in Minneapolis forever, like in the Twin Cities for a very long time. I imagine that's the same thing that's happening everywhere else. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, when I watch the news, I see it's happening everywhere. You know, uh, I'm just I'm amazed that it started here. I'm just amazed that it started here. This is the last place. If you would ask me the day before, this is the last place I would have ever thought that something like this would start. Yeah. 
<clears throat> All right, bro. So this is your episode, man. It's the Vainglorious episode. And so talk to us. Where the hell did the Vainglorious... Where, where, did that, where did the concept of the Vainglorious one come from, man? Talk to me. X-Clan. Yeah? Y'all remember X-Clan? No. <laughs> yes. Man, they ain't old enough to know about X-Clan. I absolutely remember X-Clan. They ain't old enough for that. <laughs> what is wrong with y'all? I love X-Clan, fam. YouTube, Joy. They ain't down. They ain't down. What is wrong with y'all? Yo, man, like when I sometimes I see these young young men's post about music, and I'm just like, yo, we need just a course, a crash course for these two young men, uh, just to bring them up to speed. You know what I mean? Whoa, there, boss. Whoa, who, who would teach it? <laughs> what are you talking hmm. about? Well, he, you know, he the people, brother. He naming the people, brother. He's, he's quizzing you right now. Oh, I know. I, don't, I have no idea. Sorry, you to ask me about cash money. Sorry. Oh, see, see, see. We we talk about hip hop, and you go bringing up Cash Money. Uh, yeah, so up, now, now, now the thing about it, if he was bringing up the original DJ Cash Money, then he'd get some street cred. But the fact that he's bringing up somebody who bit no DJ street. Cash Money's name, no and now he's out there in the streets these acting people, like he's an originator, that's problematic, bro. These people know what it is, man. But it's funny <laughs> that you should, you guys should talk about New Orleans because then that brings up the next question, bro. You grew up in New Orleans, man. How did that shape who you are today? Wow. Um, how did it shape me the way that I am now? You know, New Orleans is very much an isolated culture. It's a culture unto itself. So I think in some ways I had a very protective bubble, a, a layer of culture around me that I didn't know that I, I was having until I left. Um, and, and um, you know, it's a, it's a celebratory culture in a lot of ways. It's, a, um, you know, it's, it's rooted and it's old. And, you, you know, you, like many black communities, you have your rules and your way of being, but it just feels different than almost anywhere else I've ever been. Um, and, you know, when I think about it, it's very racist, though. <laughs> and there's a lot of colorism. So if you really were to ask me, like, how how it shaped me, there's a there's a sliding scale of color in New Orleans that always existed. There's a very clear kind of line between. And, you know, this has changed a little bit. I think it has changed a little bit. But there's a very clear line between you know, where you're supposed to be, not supposed to be as a person of color, like, a, you know, Charles, I used to say all the time I'm black. Um, New Orleans has like a, has black mm -hmm. and they have like a, a little extra. They got other things. Creole, so I got you. Yeah. Yeah. They got another thing that isn't always well-defined outside of New Orleans, but inside, you know what it is. They, there's something called the Creole mafia. Um, you know, people listening probably know this about the bag test. Uh, there used to be a store called Schwegman's and the Schwegman bag test would tell you whether or not you could date somebody. And like, you know, there, there's like very clearly a situation I remember, um, you know, like if you'd be at somebody's house and they ask you what high school you went to. And if you give the wrong answer, you'd have to leave in some cases. Um, Chris, you should talk about the bag test. Some of our uh, audience may not understand what that reference is. And that, yeah, that's so a grocery uh, bag. Is a, grocery bag is a certain color of brown. And and um, if you were darker than the Schwagman's bag. Um, you were considered to be more on the Negro side of Creole. And if you were lighter, you were seen to be on more of the white side of Creole. And mm -hmm. it changed a lot of things for you in terms of social clubs, even neighborhoods, how proper you were considered to be. Um, there's another thing I don't think people know about this. It's the blue, blue vein thing. Like if you can see the blue of your veins, 
if you're light enough to see the blue of your veins, that was also uh, a differentiator for a lot of people. And it had material consequences. It was a very structured, racist, orderly society with a middle group of Negroes who were kind of like put in the place of like the Hutus, Tootsies thing. You know, they, it was a very crude power structure like I haven't seen anywhere else based really on color, seriously on color and, and shades of color. And uh, and it was real. Wow. Give me the difference in money. Like it give me the difference in what job you get, where you could live, who you can marry, what parties you could go to. So, yeah, it's like living. It's like credit with your skin. It's, it's, it's kind of <laughs> really wild. <laughs> that is that is that is that's true. And y'all would have some bad credit. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's real, man. It's, uh, you know, I mean, if, if, uh, if I'll put a link in the end for the group around the bag test is a bunch of stuff you can look at. Um, but also, if you look, if you watch stuff like School Days, right, where it kind of plays out like the colorism and all that stuff, and you know, even there now, there's like a pushback on like the whole Creole culture and like even what that means and, and all that stuff. So it's deep, man. It's really deep. It's deep, you know. And I want to say this: like I have cousins that are probably watching this right now, and there's a different type of we're not all the same. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a Creole. My grandmother was proud to be a Creole. Um, my grandmother raised me as a Creole and, and like very much was proud of it. It's a food, it's a culture, it's a way of living. It, it has its history. It has a history unto itself. It's very much a thing as much as being French or Spanish or anything else is a thing. And, um, and there are people descendants though, in my cousin, you know, level of, of family members who fall on different sides. Some don't want nothing to do with Creole and they just, you know, they, they, they do the black thing and, 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 and let that be. Uh, and I get it. I understand that, you know, especially the ones that left and went somewhere like into the service, the military or something like that and came back, they all come back as black. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's dope, man. All right, so folks in the comments, man, let me, let me get y'all rocking. All right, so one of uh, at Citizen Stewart's famous disclaimers <laughs> is, I am not an educator. So in the comments, can y'all just let this joker know he's wrong and, and we learn something from him all the time? Uh, we're up here talking about he ain't an educator. He's exactly. one of the best educators you, I know. You know where this lies from? detected. You know from? Ingram lies detected. <laughs> I'll tell you why this why why this is important to me, though. You have to tell people how you show up in a room, why you're there. And I have to often explain to people ahead of time, I'm not here because I have credentials. I am not here because I have a PhD. I'm not here because I teach. I am not here because I have any training in the classroom or any of that. I am here because I got here, right? I'm an activist. I I have activated around some things for personal reasons, for, you know, to become who I am. And now I'm doing it for other people. Right. But I always think it's important just to look. So if there's anybody else like me who's feeling the same thing, it gives them permission in the room to not feel like they have to shrink in front of other people and that they have to be like, oh, my God, I don't you know, I'm going to say the wrong thing. These people are so smart. They're so brilliant. They're so educated. I'm so not um, whatever. I just think you need a different identity. But you just need to be clear about it because teachers tell me all the time, Chris, you don't teach. You don't teach. So, you, you know, basically what they're telling me is I have no right to comment on a lot of this stuff mm. because I don't teach. Well, that's bullshit, bro. You're a parent. 
I mean, you know, you know, I say it like you got a PhD. I got I got KIDs. So, you know, so uh, so I think we're equal in some ways. I might even be, you know, higher up the pole with KIDs. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we talk about educators. Hey, like, listen, parents are the children's first teacher. Nothing trumps that. You might build, you might be a great partner. You may do like a whole lot of, <laughs> for sure I said, stop misquoting them, bro. Yo, he's been hanging on to that for like three episodes. He's been hanging on to that. <laughs> he's still on it. He's still on it. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as a parent, nothing trumps that. No matter what mm. struggles the parent may be going through, any of that. That family is the expert. That family is the the card holder. So you know, appreciate you. And wait, wait, but let's wait. He's not he's not a pedestrian in the education stuff. First, let's just clear this up. Homie was a school board member that understood the insides and outs and had to make real decisions about what happened in public education. Actually, he got a really big uh, education on, on public on public schools in a way that most people won't have, right, or don't understand. And I think yeah. that if people had that type of insight and saw and watched how people talked about their kids or talked about the ability of their kids, I think a lot more people would be on the Chris Stewart train. So, you know, you might not have taught in a classroom in an everyday setting, but uh, but being a school board member, uh, you, you see things and you look at things and you're in conversation conversations that the public will never see like they'll they'll never speak that same way if you're in the room and uh and so anyway i just wanted to put that out there because we not talking like you just some fly-by-night cat that decided to care about education you got actually involved wait hold up so you mean those open board meetings that's not like what the real deal is like the stuff that you know that's not i mean i've been in those those rooms that's (laughs) wait a minute that's that was not, my learning. That was my education right there. No, would you see the <laughs> in the public meeting? No, that's not it. I mean, I actually ran for school board just like I say on a lark, but it just meant like I, I looked at the paper one day. There was some bad stories about the Minneapolis public schools, and it was the millionth one. And uh, Beth Hawkins is watching this. I, I seem to remember this. It could be Laura, but I do remember like there was a story on the front page about the school board that said we're all bozos on this board. And I thought, well, shit, if they can make it, I can make it. Shit, I just go run, you know. <laughs> not knowing anything about the political process, what it was going to take to go to the convention and get the DFL endorsement, which is our democratic party and, you know, everything. And, and uh, so I won, I got on the board and all of a sudden the vault was open to me. Can you imagine being an activist who's asking the district for information all the time and they won't give it to you, but then all of a sudden you're a board member and you can demand anything that you want in terms of information and access, and then just give it to the public freely. Right. They tried to marginalize me so many times, but my power, I think, in some ways became the threat of I have access to all the information now. I can call a press conference on any day of the week and the media will come just because I'm elected. So if y'all don't want me to give this information out, y'all might want to stop trying to to marginalize me, which they did all the time because I'm not an educator. I'm not this. I'm not that. The credential thing. Um um, made me kind of an outcast and I think in a lot of ways. Beth Hawkins is in the comments. She says she wrote that. So she wrote, uh, I couldn't remember she wrote that, that, that we're all bozos on this board. Uh, uh, um, she did write that. That story. Yeah, Hawkins. Yeah, Hawkins, put it all down. Right. So you guys see, you see, you see the, the ticker. 
It's reefism time. It's time for the wisdom and the calm and the reflection. <laughs> the reflection. In <laughs> 45 uh, for, seconds, because reef could be real long winded. So we're gonna try to cut this down. We're gonna try to put some rules on these. You know, things, what, my, you know what? My peeps, they uh they actually been uh, because you mentioned that Sharif is long winded a few episodes ago. So I got peeps who've been actually recording. And she's going to share uh, what the actual oh uh, time limit. I, I'm actually, Ankram, you are the the least long-winded, and I am second to you. So I don't want to hear that crap. I got data. I'm sure I'm number one. one those, I'm sure I'm number one on it. I'm one I'm of the... Sure uh, the I'm sure I don't data. care about that. It's a, it's a <laughs> yeah, comment and, and, for me. It's not a complaint. It's a comment. But I, yeah. I do believe that people should not disparage my my uh you know what I what I do or what Bro, I, I gave you wisdom I gave you calm, I gave you respect I I gave yeah you but it was more. underhanded it was like he got wisdom he it was kind of backhanded too damn much you know what I mean? like all right. <laughs> all right but listen listen this uh, I, I mean one of the things and I shared this uh you know the, the last episode was that um you know when I first met uh you know Chris Stewart you know I I knew of him already because, you know, he was a prolific writer. Um, I really appreciated what he wrote. And so, you know, I was asking people like, hey, can you get in touch with him and invite him? We're bringing these black brothers, this revolutionary group that we were trying to build, uh, black educators for social justice. Mm -hmm. And we were having our very first uh, convening. And the reason why this convening came about was because there were black educators who were saying like, hey, we're feeling marginalized. We're feeling isolated. We need to build community. We need to uh, work together to develop our power, our platform um, together. And I was surprised, you know, I actually met him on the sidewalk coming into the building. I was surprised he was here, but I was grateful that he he showed up, flew into Philly to be a part of our first convening. And he what struck me was that he was he was curious. He spent most of his time not actually, uh, you know, uh, just listening to speeches. I saw him several times talking to city year core members and students and young teachers. And what that showed me was that here, this brother is is curious. Right. And he's uh, he's not just there to, you know, to just, oh, I, I write. I'm, I'm the I don't remember what his title was, but, you know, he didn't show up in that space. People talk about like how do people show up? He showed up curious. He showed up like and, and kind of like put in the background. I would have been like, yo, come up front. Come. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And so I just uh, I just deeply appreciate it because I'd seen so many people with large platforms like he had at that time. Um, and, he's, and it's just grown from there. But I see so many people who had that platform and made wherever they show up all about them. And he was the exact opposite. Like he he was like almost a, a you know, a church mouse in the thing, but except he was curious and asking questions and, and talking to people. And so from there, and of course he brought us all together um, as well. And like, oh, do you know Skull? Oh, do you know uh, Ankrum? And, and, and that. And so I just really appreciated uh, that. And, you know, it goes, you know, at the end of the day, Carter G. Woodson said, just because you have a college degree doesn't make you educated. And I think like a lot of times what he does as a parent, as well as an activist is highlights what uh you know what are what's important and the eight million black children that's who is important so i appreciate you bro long winded no, or not that's what no i remember that day too it was like the dopest thing i had ever seen it was like you you, you all have heard me tell the story before but first of all i'd never been to philly and i had never known like this really slick class a brother that they have in in Philly. It's like a very it's a thing. Philly is a thing unto itself. Um, so it was new for me. And there was all these brothers in a room, super sharply dressed. And by sharp, I don't mean like just like own style, like Philly style sharp. 
but they were teachers and educators and they worked with kids if they weren't. And then, you know, they had the city year people there and um, talking to them one by one by one by one was everything that I had wanted to see and hear. So I love stories. I was just asking everybody for their stories and everything. And the fact that they lived together. They had this like big building, this condo type building. And it was all these black male teachers living in a building. Sure, if you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it was it was all educators living in mm-hmm. in this in this community yeah. of people that could collaborate. I just thought I've never seen anything like this. It was my dream uh, at that moment. That's dope. All right. So Reef, you mentioned it, man. So we'll jump right into it. So everybody on the pod has exhibited some type of dopeness with the pen. So Chris, what is, what what inspired you to start writing, bro? And then Man, I've been writing forever. I've been writing forever, and this is the thing. I've always been always writing what I write now about um, education, but I, I, I call myself an OB, like the original blogger, because I, I started blogging in '98, and wow. um, 1998. I was doing it with with Angel Fire and Lycos and, and uh, HTML, and uh, back then I would blog about like you know. Um, liberty things concerns like libertarian politics and uh, black power and just anything pedestrian stuff that was going through my mind at the time you know stuff about the world at some point it changed to education because you know it became my thing you know i had a, a son and i became a uh, advocate for him so i started writing more and more about that but it's funny when people talk about me now and they, they talk as if, you know, I, I don't know how w- what they think this is, but I actually have only been doing this that we're talking about right now for a few years. And some of y'all met me in the beginning of it. Like, Charles, you met me, I think, on my first trip out to Oakland for for Ed Post. And that was some of my first trips that I was making. So before that, I got paid nothing. <laughs> I got paid nothing for like 15, 16, 17 years of writing, blogging. Some of it was poetry, prose, uh, commentary. I'd been published in some newspapers, but there were people locally here who were saying, man, you got to get out. You got to get out of Minnesota. You got to get a national audience and whatever. And I would always just blow it off like, yeah, whatever. I mean, you're talking about a dude at the time who I, I just couldn't see it. So a few people actually found my blog and called me out of the blue and asked me about it. And, uh, and that was it. It was a wrap, you know? Yeah. And Reef, you're a pretty prolific blogger too, man. What inspires you to start? You know, I, um, I think just a couple opportunities to, to write. And then, uh, a sister who works with, uh, with Chris, uh, you know, I wrote, I was at the department of ed and I wrote something and it got a little traction. Um, and, uh, Sister Kalila Harris had encouraged me to to write it. And so I did. It was something about, you know, black educators. We need more black educators so they can be subversive. Um, you know, like teaching well is a subversive act in a system of, of racism um, and blockage for uh, black children's uh, growth and development. And and a little while after that, Sister Ikhlas Salam uh, reached out and was like, hey, you know, would you be interested in writing? I was like, nah, not really. <laughs> you know, that's it's not really what how I viewed myself. Um, and then a couple of friends, I was just talking to them one night in dinner. They're like, oh, you should, you know, because all you do is want to talk about all this black education. 
education this and black power that. And I, so I, I think I started writing because they were like, they basically wanted me to shut up like Ray Ray does. You know, they were like, Ray, they're like, yeah, <laughs> why don't you write that stuff? So, you know, when we get together, we can actually expand the conversation. I still I still don't let them expand the conversation mm. get together. It still comes right back to this. But uh, the writing and what, what I found later was the writing was, you know, not only therapeutic, but. Um, with more writing, I was able to do more reading and, you know, just reinforce what I love. Like reading is my love, not writing. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how it kind of started. Cole, man, we've seen some dope product come from you, bro. What inspires your writing? Um, I've been writing for a while, man. I think, um, you know, I, I got my start early on in those early days, too, when Blogger was still a thing. And then um, I got... A, a real good spot with uh, Huffington Post. Uh, now it's around the time when I was still vice chair of the Black Young Dems of California. So, like, I kind of got this, you know, I wrote some stuff and it did well, and then they gave me carte blanche. I actually tried to get Chris on there, and uh, it, we, we worked on that for a minute. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it made sense later when I saw you and dude go at it. But, um, but yeah, man, so for me, it just was always a way um, to kind of get my thoughts out. And then the blogging, the way blogging kind of works is an easier way to communicate because it's the three to five paragraph structure. And you, mm-hmm. it's, it's supposed to be short. It's supposed to be to the point. And, uh, and, I, and I just enjoy doing it. And then when I met Chris, uh, that kind of opened up in this education uh, sphere. And so I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful uh, to him about that. Yeah, that's dope. So, Chris, somebody mentioned something about the school board in a comment, but I had this question for you. But see, this um, let me set you up because this is what happens, right? Y'all go off on tangents when I write these episodes for y'all, thinking that I'm not going to cover the things that I'm going to cover. And so, yeah. you know, it's kind of weird, you know, yeah. when we get to this yeah. place. So um, you mentioned your school board run. Uh, talk to us about what inspired that run. I think you might have talked about that. And then what were the major takeaways? So just talk about the major takeaways from it. Yeah. So, you know, the thing that I said earlier really inspired me was that like the the district was always in the news for failing for failing uh, specifically with the achievement gap. It was everywhere. Achievement gap, achievement gap, achievement gap. And uh, I was doing workforce development work and social services work. And I felt like every day I was seeing the outcome of not getting a good education. You know, people seeing people who couldn't get just like really bad jobs because of the education that they had. And I mean, stuff like Subway and Arby's and, you know, Burger King, that sort of thing. And I ended up having to like help people fill out applications. I can remember and I've said this before a lot, like the times that I would see people check high school meaning that they had graduated from high school and I was helping them fill out applications to to, uh, Burger King. And it didn't make any sense to me. Like I couldn't make sense of that. Like, how could you like graduate from high school 12 years in something and not be able to at least complete uh, a Burger King application. I thought there's something really wrong with this picture, but I felt very much like alone and an outsider, you know, an activist. I didn't feel like I could win. I just, I was going to run so that I could just say my stuff. That's, that, that's really that was the goal. The goal really was to to run and make people listen to me. And uh, and it turned out I was a pretty good networker and um, 
I got on the DFL slate, which is the the Democratic Party here. I went to the convention and got through on what they call the the first ballot club, meaning sometimes when you get the endorsement, it takes you several ballots, several rounds of voting to to you know to make it across the threshold so that you get the endorsement. And uh, I made it on the first round, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting. I feel like I gave one of the best speeches of my life at that at that um, uh, convention. And um, and then it was downhill everywhere uh, after that. <laughs> it was all downhill after that. I mean, just to be real with y'all, like on the day that I got elected, um, I was in the newspaper. Uh, br- breaking news: Chris Stewart uh, discovered to be like this, you know, this blogger who who talks crap about people, and it was just this big deal. The teachers' union called for my my uh, resignation on the day that I was elected. Um, I had people who calling from uh, SEIU calling me, telling me, "Don't you dare step down! Don't you dare resign!" Because they had run my campaign. It was a mess. It was a trip. And everything that happened for me four years after that was political. So if you want to know what I learned, I learned what it's like to be a black politician in a white city. I learned how white parents get what they want. I learned how they're your friend and they love you and they will support you until you say something wrong or something that they don't like. Then they will drop you and try and destroy you and destroy your your um, they will come. I, I, while I was on the school board, I got fired from. I want to say three or four jobs, um, but but badly for two of them. And that was from white parents calling my companies that I worked with, saying that they would boycott my employer uh, if they didn't fire me. And, and it was based on decisions that I would make, like votes that I would take that they didn't like about things like boundaries and, you know, um, school zones and stuff like that. So. So, yeah, when I say it was downhill after that, that's what I learned. I learned that like, um, yeah. I learned that it's a very racist environment when you um, when you're an elected official in a white city trying to do right by black children. So everybody in the comments, make sure y'all run for school board. All right. Everybody should do it once. Hell no. I tell everybody everywhere I go, everybody's got to do it once. Trip. I tell you, you got to run. Like everybody's got to run for school board. I tell you, board. school board don't care about your happiness. Don't no, care you know, about like your I happiness at all. Listen, I feel. First of all, I think that a lot of people would have skills I didn't have, but I think everybody should try it once. Yeah. Okay. All right, so so we come to the show. We come to this part of the show, Charles. Uh, agentic moment, even though people in the uh, people are in the comments trying to silence you. It's okay, Charles. <laughs> I got you. I talk too much. It's yeah. all good. I'll, I'll be quick. I think um, you know, with Chris and I, uh, it was actually because of uh, Jamoke hitting Hodge. It was an event in Oakland. I was tired, and she was like, "Just come out." And it was his brother. She wanted me to meet, but Chris, I think if I recall, there was another sister there who. We're we're cool, um, but she was saying some stuff. Uh, but she was just saying some stuff, and she was just factually incorrect. And most people just let those things rock, and I just wasn't that person. And I think you know, Chris and I were supposed to meet, but I think that before the the actual meeting could happen, I think he had saw that that I kind of stood up around some education stuff and told the truth. And I just think he was dead in the middle of the land of people not telling the truth in education, especially as it comes to black people and black staff and these other organizations and the rest is kind of history from there that's that's where we met uh because i don't know if you remember charles we actually like after dinner was done we ended up talking for a little bit too like after everybody else left and i was like oh yeah we should be in touch again out of everybody that i met there you're the only person besides jamoke uh that i ever saw again from from that from that group well, I think part of it, too, was that and I think part of the reason that our we, that we kind of stuck to each other in that way, I think we just 
are the people that always feel like they're crazy in the room because it's like you're the only person saying it, but you're like, wait, that don't even make sense. Like you, what are you talking about right now? Like, um, and I think that, you know, it was, it was good for me to find somebody else that was out here kind of rebel rousing and just telling the mm-hmm. truth, and just not really caring about it. And I think that that kind of brought us together. And the other thing about it was I meet a lot of people even to this day that will meet and they say they want to do a lot of stuff. Or they want to work or they want to do whatever. And Chris is one of the people that followed up. I can count on one hand how many people I've like that I've actually met and that we had that kind of talk. And then they actually followed up. And, and now we're here. So that that's that's how I remember, man. I appreciate you, brother. When I feel like, you know, all all along, I have felt like this is my my con- contribution. This is what I do. Right. Like, you know, other people are working on building programs and building schools and building other things. And what I do is I activate, I communicate uh, and I bring people together. Like I want to start whatever we can do. Everybody's got something to add to this. I just feel like that's what I add. I noticed that uh, uh, Beth Hawkins put into the into the comments. Tell them about the recall Chris Stewart bill. So just so y'all know, I had multiple situations while I was on the board. And one of those situations resulted in a state legislator trying to write a bill to make it easier to kick people off of the elected school board members off the school board. And it's, you know, effectively known by people who know the situation as the Chris Stewart bill, (laughs) because uh, I made them so angry. I made his constituents so angry that he, he tried to pass a bill multiple years in a row. We keep bringing it back, the, the Chris Stewart bill, just to make it easier to get rid of a school board member. I kind of take pride in that, actually, you know, you, just a little you would, bit. You, you would. <laughs> I mean, I should, because like in the situation that he was writing the bill about, um, it was a crazy situation that turned into a big news story. And, you know, I felt very out there on my own. But after that, I felt like there's nothing you can't take away from me. So, I mean, it, you know, I might as well tell the truth everywhere I say it and see it because I've already lost a lot. And that sticks with me today. You asked me how it shaped me. The ability to just say what I care about um, came out of me losing jobs, losing things and whatnot and feeling like you can't take anything else away from me so I can just say things how I how I want to. And God started blessing me after that, after I started doing that. The more I told the truth, just the way that I saw it, cutting right to the chase and not like being afraid, not being scared. The more I did that, God blessed me. Like, 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 like tenfold. And I was worried about it because I was like, man, I keep getting fired from jobs. I'm never going to be able to like, you know, God just had work for me. That's all I'm going to say. That's what's up, bro. All right. So Charles, throwing this one at you, man. School choice is pretty much the narrative of, of this podcast. Tell us uh, why our parents' right to choose is so important to you and your work. I mean, I think for me, you know, and I like to call it more parent choice than school choice, but I think that, um, you know, I just, I, I believe what I talk, what we talk about here. I think that I do think we're on our own. And I think that any of the lessons that I've heard where it has worked out for kids that grew up similar to how I did or poor white kids or Latino kids or whatever, their parent or somebody around them has done ex- an extraordinary amount of work, meaning that they just did not purely trust the system. Mm-hmm. And I'm part of a system that has put both my parents in jail. I mean, they helped, but there were some things in there, right? That like, like I watched my mother be threatened to go to jail if she like put me in a different school because she wanted me to do well. Um, I went to 11 elementary schools, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think that the system is not set up to protect people that look like us. 
And I just say it the way that it needs to be said. And one way a parent can flex their power is taking their sack of money, which is their child, because that's how this system sees you is as a sack of money that they can that they can control. And if you push back, then you hate freedom, apparently. Um, but that's one way that parents can exercise their power is by choosing what, what type of school their kid goes to. And so um, it, it is paramount to me. Uh, but I feel the same way in other fields as well, not just education. I want parents and I want community people to be uh, informed on the actual power that they do have because people count on you not knowing. They count on you not activating certain things. And like when you look up certain stuff like uh, the trigger, the trigger law in Chicago, I read the story of that where these parents that were poor didn't know anything about it. And once they learned, they don't see this the thing about this work. It don't take five thousand, five million or whatever. It was a small group of parents that read that stuff and got on fire and they started flipping schools. And when parents saw that they had that type of power, things changed and people talked to them different. So that's part of the reason why I'm in this work, because we have power. We just got to tap into it. That's what's up. Reef, jumping to you. Yeah, I mean, and I agree. I think it's the parental choice. And I think the part that makes me uh, the most frustrated with this whole conversation is so people are so far removed from um, from history. Um, you know, Cole just wrapped up, uh, man, chapters to seven chapters go by quickly. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Cole just ripped, uh, you know, uh, wrapped up an extremely important uh a book club that's on the, on the Patreon, and it, it talks about the history of of black education, how it's linked to black liberation, and how that people have been trying to ensure that their families, their children, uh, you know, get edu- get an education, and they were finding all types of ways. And you know, one of my favorite quotes out of an entire book, and I have hundreds of favorite quotes in that book. Uh, one of them was this. Uh, beyond broke grandma like she literally had one penny to her name one penny that's all she had that was the only money that she actually had because she just you know she lived by the land right and so whatever she had that's how she survived she donated it to create an independent black school and the quote was i only have one brown one copper penny to my name and this is for the black children Mm. That messed me up, man. I was just like, yo, that 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 grandma articulated in a way that that I felt in my heart, that I've always felt in my veins, and her donating that, and she said, this is for the black children, their education. Like to me, that's that's the battle cry. That's the that's that's the war cry. You know, (laughs) we when we were young, we used to sing this song about the blood stained banner, Mm. and you know, around Black liberation. And I think education is. Sing it, bro. Sing it. Sing the song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, y'all ain't ready for that, brother. I just got off. I just got off the Black Panther party. You just you brought up webinar like We are soldiers in the army. We gotta fight, although we're gonna die. We gotta hold up the blood-stained banner. We gonna hold it up until we die. I've been singing that since I was five years hey, old. Hey, Charles, 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 write down 45, 45. <laughs> 45, 15, I got 10, you. 45, 10. I got you. No. <laughs> we got our promo for the next year. <laughs> <laughs> we cut this tonight. <laughs> that was beautiful, Sharif. I grew up singing them same songs. Hey, uh, uh, Chris, going to you. <clears throat> well, wait a second now, Charles. You grew up singing that song? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. 
He's did, you sing, did you sing? Uh, was it before you I'm got to the, Oakland um, or after? Uh, I mean, was it when you got to Oakland or before that? Uh, Kentucky. I, I oh, that's Kentucky. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what's up. That's what's up. Reminds me of the um, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. Mm-hmm. It sounds very similar to that, but you need a few highs in there, you know. <laughs> Got to get the deacon out. I'm sorry, Ray. Go ahead, man. Yo, it's on you. The question. <laughs> Unless you want to give a testimony. No, man. So, so what? You asked me the question about like school choice. Like, why is it important? And I see people changing it to parent choice or whatever. It. Whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. I yeah. You change it? Oh, okay. It's just parents' choice in there now. You know, it's funny. I noticed somebody in this in the comments put something about you know a couple of people say yeah it should be uh, parent choice, not school choice because it means to me things are different people. And somebody along the line there said something about critical race theory. And I just want to like put this out here because people talk about <laughs> CRT all the damn time, and I need to just like like put this out there. Harris, the reason- Harris made the comment. Wait. Let me qualify. If Harris made yeah. a comment, she's yeah. qualified. To, she's qualified. I, I'm not saying it, it's not about the person who made this particular one. I'm just saying that, you know, in many in education speeches that I see, I see people with degrees and, you know, lots of stuff who say I studied CRT or CRT is I use a CRT lens or right. framework for all this blah, blah. <laughs> CRT basically is I understand it tells you that racism is permanent and endemic and it's not a flaw within the system. It is the system. That is the system. So if you are smart, it's like oxygen. You're not going to defeat oxygen by ignoring that that's what it is. So if you ask me why choice matters, there's no way for you to have a critical race theory lens and look at the traditional public school system, the district of schools, the 14,000 schools that the states run in the United States and not know that it's part of an endemic, permanent uh, racist structure, right? So why wouldn't you want options. We don't have to call it choice or parent choice or vouchers. Just call it parenting, meaning these are my kids and I get the right to instill my values. You can do what you want with yours. If you want to send your kids to a jacked up district public school, God bless you. I support you. But for my kids, it shouldn't be about choice. It should just be about parenting. Parenting means state doesn't own a child. I want separation of the child and state. Child belongs to me, right? Until that child is old enough to think for themselves and be off on their own. And until that point, I'm just calling it parenting. I'm not even calling it choice because of CRT. Mm -hmm. Because I have already assumed what Derek Bell wanted us to assume, which is it's not, you're not going to fix it anytime soon. It's meant to be racist. And it is. And, you know, it it has told you that many times and times again. So I do not understand my people who believe we shouldn't have the options. And oftentimes it's not that they shouldn't they don't believe we should have options. It's middle class folks thinking that that underclass folks shouldn't have options mm-hmm. because like Chris Rock has this joke about like like uh, malls. And he says that black malls are the malls that white people used to go to. Right. And then they become black malls. That's how I feel about many of the schools. People trying to tell you you need to stay in these schools after they didn't already left. Right. Including some of your own people. Right. They didn't made a choice. They didn't got out. They didn't, you know, went somewhere. They're doing all kinds of defensive mechanisms to get their kid an education. That's why choice is so important to me, though, is because you need to get out, too, if you want to. That's what's up, bro. All right. So we're staying right with you. So many people probably on this podcast don't know about your Rock the Schools podcast. Oh, wow. That shit was fire, bro. Wow. So 
So so what inspired that work? I think it went up to about 100 episodes. Fire yeah. shit. And then um like who was who's your most memorable guest on that podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you so the first part of your question, you, you guys know, are you already making I think a guess it's Gregory. I think it was Gregory. It was Gregory. It was yeah. Gregory. Yeah. yeah, so um what inspired me to do it was Nakima Levy Pounds at the time. She's uh Nakima Levy Armstrong. Now she's my god sister. And um she had a podcast and she had me on it. And when I came to be on it, I was like, man, I love all of this. She was in a studio. She had one of these things going on, had the mics, you know, the the um the all the equipment. And I was just I was amazed. I was like, you could just do this. Like you just wanted to do this and you could just do this. So I started one shortly after that started Rock the Schools. I called her on the day that I named it Rock the Schools. I had like three names in mind and and uh and I had a soundtrack and I had stuff picked out. And then I just started. I started doing it. Most memorable guest was definitely Dick Gregory. Most memorable guests. And if anybody wants to listen to it, I will send you a link. But it was the most it was the craziest thing I ever heard. He told me stories that sounded too crazy to believe. And then he made my producer Google them while we were on the mic and she was looking them up and looking at me like, oh, hell, that's true. Right. The craziest stuff you've ever heard. Craziest stuff. And and uh, um, and he was so so far beyond what we consider smart. He just, you couldn't stick with him. He was, he was too smart for you. He has stuff about chemicals, chemtrails. Um, he told me about a presidential candidate who had a gay son. So he sent the gay son over to New Guinea and they ate him in New Guinea, something like this. And I thought, well, ah, that don't sound right. Rockefeller, look it up. It's an actual story. It's a real story. So that was my most memorable guest besides Sheila E, who I loved, and Van Jones, who I loved at the time. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> All right. So, so I mean, you know, you know. <laughs> it's time for my take, and my take is going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's Pride Month, and I don't feel like uh, LGBTQ community is getting enough uh, leverage and, and shout outs. So I want to shout out 16 Black pioneers uh, that kind of made activism great. Uh, Gladys Bentley, uh, Bayard Rustin. I won't go. I won't do sixteen. I'll do uh, six. Uh, James Baldwin, Alvin Ailey, mm-hmm. Audrey Lord, Ernstein Eckstein, Barbara Jordan. All right. So, um, back to you, Chris. What was the inspiration behind Citizen Aid? And how did that come about? So let me just back up and say, you just named James Baldwin in that list. Clearly the most inspirational person that I've ever had in my reading and writing life when it comes to letters. Um, the elegance, the style, the the wit, the smarts, the depth. Uh, you want to talk about a greatest of all time and fearless and fierce in his writing as he was in his thinking. And I think it had everything to do with uh, the freedom of, of being LGBTQ. Um, I, I think it had everything to do with not having to mince words for uh, uh, um, false machismo and all that stuff. That's why his writing is so beautiful, so elegant, uh, so sweet in spots and so so salty in others. It's amazing. Anyways, I just had to put that out there because you asked me how I, you know, the origins of writing. But the origins of a lot of my writing was reading. And he was clearly one of my favorites. 
probably the favorite. He's the prince of writing for me. <laughs> I feel it. All right, inspiration behind Citizen Ed. You know, the thing with Citizen Ed, I was working at Ed Post and I was meeting people in different cities that I th- that I was thinking that Ed Post wasn't the thing for them, really. It wasn't grassroots enough for me. It wasn't. It was aimed at a different market. Um, it was, you know, I, I still believe that the majority of ed- education commentary and books are written for college educated people. And um, and I think very few people write education commentary or books or anything um, that treat um, grassroots people as intelligent and part of part of the the scheme of things and do it with some sense of style that um, that those people care about. And that's where Citizen Ed came from, came in the middle of the night. I did what I do all the time, which is I just start stuff sometimes. So I just in like two in the morning made made the Citizen Ed blog and it, you know, from there on made it a thing. That's what's up. All right. So Reef, coming to you, bro. You're an activist, man. Talk to me about your top five inspirations on the activist front. Mm. Man. Uh, there's so many, man. It's like I'm gonna not be able to give this, uh, you know, answer justice. Um, you know, obviously, uh, James Baldwin, uh, Malcolm X is, is like. Hold on, hold on, real quick, Shreve. I'm sorry. Do y'all hear this like, tapping? Do y'all hear this tapping? I hear a little bit. Yeah. Okay, I just don't know what that is. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. I didn't want to interrupt you, Sharif. But well, you no, are crazy. No, 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 you are crazy. But <laughs> but I hear it too. If somebody's tapping yeah. and hitting some, just just yeah. be aware. But go ahead, bro. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about like just recent, uh, you know, recent meaning in the last uh, 50, 60 years, I'd, I'd say Malcolm is at the top for me. Um, you know, also, you know, James Baldwin, his his writing, his the the clarity, and then yes, it's very heavy, but you know, you can pull out of there very clear, uh, you know, things as far as like, uh, you know, how he wrote, um, you know, obviously Angela Davis. I mean, and some of these a lot of times it's just groups, you know, like whether it's the uh, the Black Panther Party, whether it's SNCC, and so it's very hard to name individuals, but I would say members of SNCC, members of the Black Panther Party, uh, you know, obviously members of the organized uh, organization for African-American unity. Um, and then you just had so many youth, uh, whether it was the 67, the youth of Philadelphia who walked out of their schools in 1967 only to be attacked by Frank Rizzo um, or uh, children of Birmingham and children all of, across this country who formed a black man. People forget that these were teenagers, you know, um, who formed the Black Panther Party, college students. Right. So they're just there are too many to name, man. But I, I think we draw on all of them. We stand on our shoulders, on their shoulders. I often say, the, you know, a lot of people that saying like, oh, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree and so forth. And I like to say, like, you know what? Like a lot of us, we don't fall from our trees at all. We stand on our trees, tallest branches. So mm. you're to fight from here and you can see better. All right. So we're running short on time. I want to make sure I get uh, this question in. Uh, Chris, um, tell the folks about your current role at Brightbeam and where you see what you see yourself doing in the next five years. Man, that second part of that question is crazy. That's an interview question. <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years? Um, uh, so Brightbeam is what used to be Education Post. People didn't know this, but Education Post was uh, an organization that was run by Results in Education Foundation. And when I got hired exactly just about a year ago uh, to lead the organization, to be the CEO, um, we engaged in a branding 
rebranding process, restructuring process, and Brightbeam is what came out of that. And uh, we see ourselves as as a communications for activism and activating um, um, group. That is like what we do. I think previous we thought there was a lot of need for content, and it was content just for content's sake. And I think Brightbeam is is going to make a lot of. Um, a lot of movement on being able to make content specifically for the purpose of making decisions different, making decision makers answer to the communities that, that they serve. That's dope. All right. Um, fellas, uh, let's close it out, man. Or, or are we going to go to one ten? We can go to one ten if y'all want. You, whatever you want to do, brother. We right, you the host, man. We, you the host. We're, we're going to one ten. Charles, you're, you're the activist who inspired you, man. Talk to us. Um, I mean, I think it's a lot of like famous people. I'm just going. I'm gonna name Ozetta Hooper, my grandmother, who I lived with. Uh, she was a very, very simple lady. Uh, took me to, took me to church and and made sure I washed up for supper and told me to be nice to people and always find something good in people. And I name her because that she's the only reason I want to do anything meaningful in life. So, you know, and part of that is we'll name these people that feel like they're super aspirational and we can't reach them. But it's like everybody got a, everybody got a, a, a grandma that in a family. Everybody got somebody that's breathing life into them. And uh, and that's attainable. You know what I mean? Like you can be Chris Stewart, like you can be Ray Ankrum, you could be Sharif. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I can't I can't grow and be LeBron James tomorrow or I, or Jordan, but I can care and start to educate myself and like speak that truth. So I just wanted to focus more on like actual people in my life that I've touched and, and, and Ozetta Hooper is the greatest woman I've ever known to walk this earth. So her. Mm-hmm. that's what's up, bro. I appreciate that. I appreciate you giving us a uh, light in terms of that. So I know we cannot get through a Chris Stewart episode without talking about his Twitter battles. So oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> bro, what's your most memorable clash, man? Because you've had many of them. Mm. Folks, if y'all if y'all are in the audience and you follow him on Twitter, uh put a class you remember and it may be very recent but <laughs> <laughs> there's so many that I forgot to be honest with you have forgotten most of them right I can remind you <laughs> I, I just know that like it, it, it well first of all I'm blocked by a lot of people so that should tell you something right there and I've got about a thousand people blocked myself so that should also tell you something you know I, Twitter became a medium for me just real quick because it wasn't something I was really into and uh, it was faster than Facebook so I just used to just jump into Twitter. And uh, when I started doing that, uh, I just saw how much nonsense there was there. And uh, and it just became my thing. And and especially when people like get on Twitter and they're they're passing off lies, bad information, <laughs> you know, like uh, doing the talented 10th thing, which drives me absolutely crazy. Um, I just feel like there's a need to correct the record often. Uh, and then people come at you and that's, that's the birth of Chris Stewart on, on Twitter is saying a thing and then people come at you and they, they expect you just to wilt like a flower once they do that. And uh, that's yeah. obviously not what I do. But I can't remember any of them being super memorable. <laughs> what? Yo, I'm, if, if you don't want to talk about it, I ain't going to talk about it, but... Uh, which ones? Tell me which ones. What do, right, what so, do, you, what so, do you think? So, so, so the, the Diane Ravage one is just it's uh, nuts because it's yeah. ongoing. Um... Uh, when you had when you tore Andre apart, uh, that was pretty memorable. Uh, 
I mean, I could go on. I mean, you, you, you know, you Julian Helix Vasquez and I used to go back and forth. Oh, just the messy part of the podcast. Yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what this Andre is. Man, yeah, yeah. You know, well, just you know, someone, someone, we ain't got to talk about your your black or black battles, right? Like, like you can just stop and die. I'll just put it this way. First of all, it's not all black. It's not black on black most of the time. Oh my first gosh. Of all. Just, yeah. Don't even, don't even, yeah, just stop. Just go ahead. <laughs> most of the time, it's really not, but um, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, it gets messy. It does get messy. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, it has been described as petty. I've been described my Twitter, my my Twitter, my Twitter um, persona has been described as petty um, as recent as last week. But I've been laying off of it more, you know, more within I, I would say the, the the year. Or so this year. Yeah, there it is. All right. So, I mean, you got folks, you got activists that are out on the front lines. And, and uh, we talked about this earlier in the show, but I wanted to kind of close it out with this. Like, who should these activists be taking their uh, taking their lead from in order to show, like, solidarity in the community, solidarity in the movement? Mm. I mean, that's a tough question. <laughs> You, when you ask that, do you mean like who is somebody that they should be looking to as a point person of like that's what good looks like and and moving forward or what? Yeah, yeah. And I I feel like so much like everybody can be an activist. They should be looking. This is just my answer. This is one guy talking. I feel like they should be looking to themselves, like internally um, focused about what can I do? Cause people get into what they can't do and then join some things where people are doing some things. And what Charles said earlier, doesn't take, you don't have to like go have some big movement. Mm-hmm. There are little things that are happening in every city and every place that just need one more person, just need one more person in this group or that group, or, you know, wherever. So get in where you fit in. Um, don't stop until you have to, right. And just commit to it and, and don't let people make you feel like there's these official positions and you can't play certain roles or whatever, because if that's the type of room that you're in, get out of it quick. If you get to a meeting or with organizers or with people that are trying to make social change and difference and they treat you like that, they start organizing the room that way and whatever, leave, leave and find some, some, some free range activist and be focused and have something that, that you have to have a demand. Or stay home. So just be focused on what your demand is and go out and make it happen. But don't always be looking for a messiah or some leader or some person who's going to, you know, get you all riled up and all that type of stuff, because that's fleeting comes and goes. And 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 your power is not fleeting. You could do something every day, every day. You could do something that actually makes life better for the eight million black children in the United States. Yeah, I feel free like. range, though. <laughs> Thank you for that. Hey, Charles, you, bro. No, that's crazy. You said, said what you say, bro? Coming to you, same question. Um, I think I feel pretty similar. I, I, I you know, I mean, I, I think the moment you start getting like just super like overwhelmed with like your admiration of a person, right? Like it, it, it probably ain't gonna end the way that you need it to end. Um, I think you just need to find some folks that's like minded, and y'all agree on two or three things. And focus on those things and, and and drive towards getting the job done. I would say that right now in our time in our day, like 
it's so easy to get distracted. And because of technology, because of the access, we can go a million different ways at once. So there's value in the person that can start at a goal and see it all the way through. And I would say be that person. And there are different ways that people can help. Like, for instance, I know how to produce stuff and put, you know, technology on for people like Dr. Fuller, who's not technology, you know, that's not his thing. That's my contribution is making sure that people are hearing his words, like, uh, you know, and, and they got access to it. You know, Chris is an amazing connector and an amazing writer. Sharif is an amazing student and, 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 and speaks to certain people. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just think in the way that he speaks, I think, Ray, I think you have amazing energy. I think that like, your energy, like even like our Facebook page and just getting that stuff out there. You know, I, I think that we all play a role and I think you got to figure out the role that you play. It's easy, though, when you like try to look towards these like celebrity organizers or whatever. That shouldn't even be a thing, by the way. But like when you look to these celebrity organizers, right, part of that plays into your own mental and keeps you on the couch because you're like, well, I can never do it like they do it, so I shouldn't do nothing. Or let me go and do a Twitter like here. Or let me go and be a Twitter activist. And I think that if you start looking more inward uh, around what you can do and, and actually stepping out there, I think you'll start to see more change. And like start with small goals and take those small victories and build on them. Can, can, can I just add something to that? Because I know we got to close out, but Charles said something earlier about like, not not today, as a matter of fact, it was in the last show. It was in your list of things that you did not want people to do if you get killed out here, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them was like, don't let people get famous off of my death, right? It was around those, and I think you named a very specific name, but, um, and then you just mentioned it again right now, celebrity activist. Um, I think that's really important to keep calling out because even right now, there are people that just want to hold up a Black Lives Matter sign and be seen and put it on their Instagram. There are people that are using this as a a professional opportunity in ways that I just, that I think is gross. And, um, And I think it should be called out And I don't think, you know, I don't think people should get away with it. There is celebrity activism and it's never really good to me. And then what it does for young people, if you make it that way and you all of a sudden have 500,000 followers, Mm -hmm. there's other people looking at you thinking, well, that's what I should be. I should be an activist like that one day because I'll get Twitter likes and Twitter followers, followers. And then all of a sudden famous people will be calling me and, you know, man, Man, that's the wrong example to set for people when there's a dead man laying in the street for eight hours and you're going to get famous on it. Like that's so gross and macabre and it's weird. And uh, and people need to just call it out. Mm -hmm. Appreciate you, bro. Hey, I was going to go into a bad take, but, you know, you had a whole episode, so I don't even know if you want to do a bad take, but. It's here for you. <laughs> <laughs> did anything I say tonight already qualify as a bad Absolutely take? Absolutely, it did. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> you know? We'll just move the banner. So, um, yeah. So, uh, final thoughts. Reef, we'll start with you. Um, we know that it's your mic. We're going to get you a new mic. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a good yeah, mic right there, though. I don't understand it. It's like a ghost in the mic. So I, I don't know if I, you know. It's all good, brother. Get, get your thought. We got you, B. Yeah, sorry it's messing up. But, um, yeah, you know, Chris, we just, you know, just appreciate you. I, I was, uh, you know, and I, I agree with everything you all said about, you know, activism. You know, I, I said in the last show that, uh you know, organizers are from outside of the community. The activists are within the community because they have the context 
they have the context that people should coalesce around and and align themselves and go, as you said, you know, uh, from a fingers to a fist. And so that's that's locally. That's what it doesn't mean that you don't pay attention to nationally, but you have to, you know, really be a. Uh, you know, be be local. Um, you know, I, I I think a lot about like, you know, Malcolm, you know, I read a lot of his speeches and one grew up listening to their records. I think that's a big part of his constantly hearing. But I, one of his speeches, he I think he called it, you know, the to the Mississippi youth and, you know, back in the, in the 60s. And uh, what he was saying was like people need to, you know, think for themselves plan for themselves uh, and act for the, for themselves and not just listen to whoever's parachuting into their community, not just those, um, you know, those organizers. And I remember towards the end of it, he talks about, um, you know, when you start acting independently and for your liberation, people are going to be like, oh, that's them crazy Negroes. You know, he used the, the other N word that uh, <laughs> what N word, right? Like, you know, I know I don't yeah, thing is the N word. Bro, there's no such thing as the N-word. Dick Gregory on the show taught me that. So he that. got mad at me for saying the N-word. So Right, right. Well, you know, they, they were like, they're going to look at you as, as being crazy. But that is the surest way to get your, you know, liberation. And then uh, lastly, I would just say, you know, Chris takes a lot, you know, a lot of a lot of heat from a lot of different uh, uh, areas. And, you know, some of it, you know, is is just so beyond the pale, right? Like criticize people's thoughts and anger, but you know, the attack sometimes is absolutely nuts. And it reminds me, I'm not saying you're Malcolm, but I, I remember that the New York Times uh labeled him as evil. Mm. And so when I think about, you know, when I think about that, just the, you know, these liberal wealthy white folks who, you know, can't understand what's going on in Harlem and in Mississippi and other places. But they basically say, yeah, he's a, he's a talented man who's using his talents for evil. Like that's a direct quote from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about like the Diane Ravages and the Carol Burrises and, and you know, there's these white folks who have no kinship to our black children, to the eight million black children, you know, that's what comes to my mind, you know. Um, and so just you know, you have you have a village, you know, keep on fighting the good fight. And, you know, we we got uh, six more black hands that are that are right here to support. Mm. Yes, yeah. Charles. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna start by saying uh, I, I love you, brothers, man. And I think uh, and, and Chris, I thank you for bringing us together because I wouldn't know these cats if that wasn't the case. And I'm really proud of what we built together. I'm really proud of this. This podcast is a lot. It's difficult. It's hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the work I'm telling, I tell people all the time, uh, appreciate what you got from us, right? Um, but I, but I, but I, I built friends. I got friends in this work when I, and where I was always alone in it. I always had to stand by myself and just kind of, and, and just knowing that somebody going to be able to have your back and, and and hold you down or whatnot. I think that stuff is important. I think this stuff. Mm-hmm wears on you. And, and my message is just for all three of my other brothers that's on this podcast, you know, Chris, you help bring us together. Um, there's something special that we are trying to do for our people. And it's really important. And somehow, some way, a whole bunch of a hundred thousand views later, thank you, Ray, for bringing that to my attention, but a hundred thousand views later, who would have thought that America wanted to listen to these forecasts that just, talk shit to each other at, at every conference, right? About how things are going and what we like to see. And and now we're starting to see a bunch of people continue this conversation and spring up, you know, folks that didn't feel like they had a voice, you know, we've helped some people learn and discover that voice. 
Um, whether it's, you know, offshoots of these podcasts or the podcast Ray is starting to produce with some folks from the Patreon or, you know, the work that Sharif does and Chris, you know, the people that you bring on your show. So I just wanted to take a moment because in the middle of it, like we never stop and smell those roses. We just reminisce after we looking at the remnants of like a dead rose bush. And so I just wanted to like, in it. I appreciate all three of y'all and the, and the push that y'all have for me. And uh, I hope we can actually continue to make change in this field for the 8 million black children uh, that we, that we rep for. Chris. I feel the same way. I thank you all for this show. I've been loving, like, you know, we had a show, you know, on, on, uh, on each of you so far, except for, uh, um, do we do Sharif? We did everybody now. Right. Ray. Ray. Okay, so Ray's next. Yeah. So to me, you know, I think this is such a rare situation for brothers that actually really do love each other that are doing like a weekly work around just having a point of understanding. We said it here before, but, you know, I don't know. If people all, all know that we were like having Zoom calls with each other anyways and just hit record at some point And boom, now you've got eight black hands. And um, if you're like me and you think that the one thing that you actually have is your voice, like, you know, uh, your voice is your weapon of choice, then this is important because these platforms that we set up for our, ourselves and then we help other people set their own up is a platform or it's their voice. It's the thing that gives, you know, gives a person visibility and gives them wings. And I think it's powerful. I think communications um, are, are very powerful. Um, so I just thank y'all. I appreciate the show. I appreciate talking about all of this. Um, I'll tell you one, what relates to that point to one of the reasons why I really this is important and personally meaningful to me important is when I tell, tell y'all about my, my four years on the school board, um, you, you say people come at me now, but people really came at me and they, you know, they dig through your trash. They come after your family. They hire private investigators, anything to try and smear you in the, in the, in the press and the media plays along if they're connected politically to the system. And that's exactly what happened to me. And in Minnesota, black people are scary sometimes. And by scary, I mean, they're scared. Like this is a very white, environment right and you can lose your job or you could lose any opportunities there's a way in which you could be blackballed in minneapolis and never really get a good job ever again if you if you act out the wrong way or say the wrong thing and people are afraid of that and in all those times that i was being attacked and being run over the raked over the coals there was i could count on on one hand the number of black folks that i could just can count on to be consistent and there's some of the people i still respect today uh um and 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 Nakeem was like chief amongst those people, there's, but, but there's about three or four others. And that's why this is so important to me, too, to just to know that you have people that have your back, because there were times in which it felt so alienating to be on the front page of the local newspaper. On the day that George Bush had done something warlike in the world, I was on the front page uh, and people coming at me for dumb, dumb, dumb stuff. And then Negroes separating from me. Like just like, you know, like nothing and uh, except for a handful, a couple of true blue people. So I, I really respect this that we have because those times are going to come again. Mm. Those times where you're really under fire and you need somebody just to be like, I got you. Um, that's going to come again. So I appreciate it. Yeah, that's what's up. So listen, audience, you guys have been listening to another episode. Hey, do of you have a final thought, brother? Yeah. 
I do kind of have a problem. So, 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 I appreciate that, Charles. I, I was just going with the win, only because I know we got to maximize time because I want to get these patron, uh, these patrons. We got the patrons. Episode. We got the patrons, and I think right. we should do it as a Zoom call, and I'll put the Zoom in there for them so they can interact with us. So, All right, bet. I'll get yeah. that taken care of now. Yeah, but get your final thought, brother. You deserve. So cool. So, so I, I dedicated my race take to uh to the pride community. <laughs> Peace to you guys because you guys don't get enough attention and it shouldn't just be a month. It should be a year and we should be all acknowledging each other together. And so um, I met Chris when I got in some shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was knee deep in a situation out here on uh, Lily White, Long Island. And um, yeah, he gave me a he 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 gave me bell, man. He uh, you know, when I was getting attacked left and right, just like he was saying before, you know, he provided, uh, you know, ammunition for me to come out of that situation um you know so i'm very grateful for that i'm very grateful to uh be able to interact with uh you guys as a whole i Mm. feel like as a collective group man we we definitely bring the fire and um i'm looking forward to uh to future work and doing our thing man people need this so you guys have been listening to another episode of the eight black hands we'll see you guys next week Peace. And for the for the we, we yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just telling the people that was listening, if you're in a Patreon, in a, in less than five minutes, we'll be over there in the Zoom. I'm about to put the link in Zoom for our patrons. Uh, and we will continue the conversation live with you all for about 30 minutes. <laughs> I just want to put that on there. If you want to be part of this exclusive conversation, join our Patreon. Uh, we'll see you over there. Uh, and that's www.patreon.com slash ABH. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.